0: As you can already tell this is going to be a different kind of worship service. When Greg asked me to preach back in January, I was anticipating writing out a sermon and preaching it within the structure of Sunday morning services. Steve Harding, our colleague, our friend, his death gave me motivation and inspiration to think a little more outside of the box, much like Steve would have done. So in a way, this service is a tribute to Steve and his passion for creativity. I've been told that the person who selects and chooses music for worship often is playing a major role in shaping people's theology, even more so than the preacher. People tend to remember songs and words of songs occasionally more often than they might remember a sermon. Let's put it to a test. Count up the number of sermons that you can remember. Now think of all the hymns and songs that you can remember. There are over 800 hymns in our hymnal and probably over 100 songs in our Emerge library. Behind every hymn and every song, there's a story. Today, with the help of Revelation players, we'd like to share some of those stories. Often knowing the why and how a song was birthed will give new insight about the words or offer a deeper connection with the author. Stories remind us that most of the music we sing in worship were not written or pinned in a vacuum, or more often out of life's circumstances. Some of these songs we'll sing. A few I will play. As we worship, may God's Spirit allow you to give voice to his song that's within all of us.
1: Me too. Joseph Scriven. He was born in Ireland in 1819 and was the son of a captain in the British Royal Marines. After receiving his university degree from Trinity College in London, he quickly established himself as a teacher, fell in love, and made plans to settle in his hometown. Then tragedy struck.
2: As Joseph was traveling home on the day before the planned wedding, he came upon a horrible scene. His beautiful fiancée tragically lying under the water in a creek bed after falling off her horse. The fall had broken her neck and had killed her.
1: Overcome with grief, Joseph left Ireland to start a new life in Canada. He established a home near Ontario where he met and fell in love with Eliza Rice. Just weeks before she was to become his bride, she suddenly grew sick and in a matter of weeks died.
2: A shattered joseph turned to the only thing that had anchored him during his life his faith through prayer and Bible study he found not just comfort but a mission the 25 year old man took a vow of poverty sold all of his earthly possessions and vowed to give his life to the physically handicapped and financially destitute
1: ten years later Joseph received word his mother had become very ill the man who had taken a vow of poverty did not have the funds to go home and help care for her. Heartsick and feeling a need to reach out to her, he wrote the story of his life in three short verses he called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
2: Later, Joseph commented, The Lord and I together wrote the song. Several of his friends got a copy and took them to a music publisher. It was soon published as a poem, coupled with a melody by Charles Converse, and introduced throughout America by the great American evangelist Dwight L. Moody.
1: Instead of thinking God was punishing him, Joseph Scriven cherished God's friendship through all of this hardship, a friendship he discovered in prayer. May we learn that our relationship with God will grow the same way, in prayer. As Michael plays this piece, you are invited to turn your hymnals to number 630 and read the words, by Joseph Scriven.
3: words of the hymn take it to the Lord in prayer we're going to have a time of morning prayer this morning and I'm going to pray some some statements and then give you a moment each time to think of a way to specifically pray for somebody related to that area that that you know to make it more personal uh, in your life so join me in a moment of prayer and intercession for others God we pray for the church your church that we may be a people filled with gratitude for all the blessings and gifts that we receive each day. God, we pray for the grace to begin again, that we may grasp the opportunities to start anew, when you open new doors and opportunities in each of our lives. God, we pray for the deepening of our relationship with you, that through our awareness of all of your gifts to each one of us, that we may draw closer to you, the giver of each of those gifts. God, we pray for insight, that we may see each person as a child of you and never judge them because of their race, religious background, education, or social standing. God, we pray for those who are ill, particularly those with long-term diseases, that they may know the renewing and comforting touch of you. we pray this morning for all who are excluded and marginalized by society God that they may experience welcome and acceptance by the Christian community God we pray for an appreciation of the ordinary That we may be open to how you wish to touch us and work in and through us through the gift of each new day the people in our lives and the ordinary events of our lives god we pray for families touched by domestic violence that you will help family members to care for one another, to grow in trust, and to find resources they need to move toward wholeness. God, we pray for those recovering from surgery, that you will restore life and wholeness to them and to their family. God, we pray for peace and safety, that you will protect everyone from violence and open opportunities for healing and dialogue from all who are hurting. Oh God, we offer these thoughts, these concerns, these people that come to our mind up to you in prayer, knowing that you know each situation intimately, that you hear it and understand it and sit with us in it. So God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for allowing us to bear them with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
4: The story behind Tommy Walker writing He Knows My Name is one example of what God can do if we follow through in obedience to him. The year was 1996, and Tommy was the worship leader at Christian Assembly Church in Los Angeles, California. His pastor, Mark Pickerel, wrote a sermon of the same name and asked Tommy to write a song to go with it.
5: As Tommy wrote it, he thought it was turning out to be the worst song he'd ever written. But he just went ahead and finished it, knowing the greatest enemy of songwriters is unfinished songs. He just kept going because he had the sense in that moment that this would be a simple act of obedience to God.
4: The inspiring part of this story is the testimonies of people all over the world that have been touched by this song. A year after the song was released, Tommy met a seven-year-old orphan in the Philippines named Jerry. Every day, Jerry would seek Tommy out and ask, Tommy, what's my name? It dawned on Tommy that not many people on this earth knew this abandoned, extremely poor boy's name, but Tommy was able to tell him that God, his heavenly father did, and that he was special and God had a purpose for his life.
5: Tommy recounts that he's had the privilege of telling forgotten people in many parts of the world, both rich and poor, that God knows them and is calling their name. These inspired words remind us that we are special in God's eyes. We each have a heavenly father who loves and cares for us so much that our individual name is known.
4: With the population of the world now over six billion, the world can seem impersonal at times. It can be a sad and lonely place. Some days we all feel like we're just a number, obscure and unimportant we wonder if anyone really cares.
5: But every time a tear falls from our eyes, God sees it. He understands and even cries with us. If no one else in the world cares, God does. There's a lovely verse in Psalm 56:8 that says, "'You have kept a record of my days of wondering. "'You have stored my tears in your bottle "'and counted each of them.'" The gospel writer Luke reminds us that our names have been written in God's book of life.
1: Some people have made comparisons of this songwriter to Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley. His name is Stuart Townend, and you may be familiar with some of his more popular songs, In Christ Alone, How Deep the Father's Love, and The Power of the Cross. Often teaming up with Keith Getty, who provides the melody, Stuart's songs bridge different musical and cultural genres and reach into every corner of the globe.
2: Stewart was born in 1963 and grew up as the youngest of four children in a Christian family in West Yorkshire, England. Music was a large part of his family, so it was no surprise he started playing the piano at the age of seven and actually taught guitar to himself as a teenager.
1: Today, Stewart, along with his wife and three children, attend church at Emmanuel in Brighton, England. He is often called upon to lead worship but it is as a songwriter that Stewart knows he has had the greatest impact on the worldwide church. Writing songs with deep theological content is the passion of his
2: heart. According to Stewart, it is so important that our lives are built not on our feelings or circumstances, but on the Word of God. And songs can really help us to meditate on and retain truth. I know from the correspondence I regularly receive that if you can express in songs the profound truth of gospel in a poetic, accessible way, they really can have an impact in people's lives.
1: Listen now to one of Stuart Townend's beautiful songs sung by the choir: "Christ be in my waking." The words will be on the screen.
4: The author of the beautiful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Spafford, was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. He had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman and was also a devout Christian. Spafford's fortune evaporated in the wake of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. In a story reminiscent of the biblical character Job, Horatio's son died a short time before his financial disaster, but the worst was yet to come.
5: Friend of the American evangelist Dwight L. Moody, also from Chicago, Spafford decided to join and assist Moody in one of their campaigns in Great Britain. Desiring to give his wife and four daughters a vacation in Europe, Spafford booked passage for the six of them on the S.S. Bill de Harvest in November of 1873. Due to some unexpected last-minute business developments, Horatio had to remain in Chicago, but sent his family on ahead. He expected to follow in a few days.
4: On November 22nd, the ship was struck by the Lock Urn, an iron-holed Scottish ship vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes, carrying with it 226 of the passengers including the four Spafford children. A sailor, rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down, spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, Horatio's wife. He pulled her into the boat, and they were picked up by another large vessel, which nine days later landed them in Cardiff, Wales.
5: From there, Anna wired her husband a message that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio left immediately to join his grieving wife. As Horatio approached the area of the ocean, thought to be where the ship carrying his daughters had sunk, he was inspired to write the words to It Is Well With My Soul. Please take a hymnal and turn to number 705 and read the words as Michael plays this.
1: Outdoor walks inspired pastor Maltby Babcock to write a hymn with such simple language that even children love this hymn. Babcock was known both as an amateur skilled mu- musician playing the organ, piano, and violin, and recognized as a university sportsman with achievements in swimming and baseball.
2: Babcock had a practice of taking morning walks to the top of a hill north of Lockport, New York, where he lived so he could take in a full view of Lake Ontario and the surrounding country. It was said that he had a frequent expression before leaving for these walks. I'm going outside to see my father's world.
1: The original poem was composed in 16 four-line stanzas, each beginning with the words, this is my father's world. Interestingly, Babcock shifts his focus in the final stanza from describing the visual beauty of nature To the reality that is all is not right with the world the closing couplet posing and answering a question offers hope why should my heart be sad God reigns let the earth be glad
2: sometimes we don't know the name of the person who wrote the words of a song especially the older ones such is the case of the spiritual he's got the whole world in his hands Without a doubt, the song was born in the fields of the American South. History tells us it was written by a slave whose name we will never know. That man or woman likely experienced more trouble and suffering than any person in the modern age.
1: He or she was not considered human by society that viewed bondage as a necessary evil. So the writer of this hymn was not in charge of the present and had no control over the future. The slave owner could beat him or her to death and there would be no punishment
2: or he could sell him or her on an auction block on a minute's notice yet in the face of a life with no promise of freedom this slave found solace in faith somehow this christian still believed that a loving god was in charge
1: we've spoken about two songs that speak about nature god is the creator and God always being in control. Let the words resonate within you as we sing these two songs. We'll be singing an arrangement that switches back and forth between the two songs.
4: Did you know the first woman who ever spoke in the United States Senate was also a hymn writer of over 8,000 hymns? By the end of the 19th century, Fanny Crosby was a household name. With more than 100 million copies of her poems, hymns, and gospel songs published, Fanny was also known for her teaching and her rescue mission work.
5: When Fanny was only six weeks old, her parents realized with alarm that something was wrong with her eyes. The local doctor was away, but the Crosbys found a man who claimed to be a physician. He put hot mustard poultice on the baby's inflamed eyes, insisting it would draw out the infection. The result, the infection cleared up, but white scars appeared, and within a few months, Fanny was diagnosed as being blind. Experts now believed it could have been congenital.
4: Yet this tremendous disadvantage stimulated other gifts, such as Fanny's phenomenal memory. As a child, Fanny's grandmother would read the Bible to her. Starting at age 10, Fanny would memorize five chapters of the Bible each week. By age 15, she had memorized the four gospels, all of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many of the songs and vast portions of
5: other books. Fanny viewed her blindness as a special gift from God. At an early age, Fanny accepted a contract to write three hymns a week. As a result of the pressure to meet deadlines, she often prayed for guidance to come up with words. However, one day in 1874, she prayed for more material things. She had run short of money and needed $5 for her rent that was due.
4: There was not any time to ask her publishers for an advance, so she simply prayed for the money. Shortly after the prayer, a stranger knocked on her door. The man said that he admired her and liked her hymns. In the parting handshake, the admirer left something in her hand, five dollars. As the recipient of this unexpected good fortune sat in her room meditating on the goodness of God, The lyrics of this song came to her mind
5: can you relate to fanny and how god miraculously provides when you recognize a blessing in your life do you give thanks as we sing this crosby hymn remember it's a product of someone who walked by faith and not by sight literally shouldn't we do the same joshua will now come and share additional ways how you might respond this morning
3: is our song of response this morning, and there are many ways that you can respond. Uh, perhaps you've never made a public profession of faith in claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I'll be down front and be happy to share in that decision we did this morning. Perhaps you've uh, been a part of our uh, Connecting Conversations class and are ready to uh, claim Oakmont uh, through Covenant and Community as your place of, of worship and your church family. Perhaps you'd like to go to the back and light a candle in honor or memory of someone or to write and fill out a prayer card. Uh, Tomorrow morning when we gather as a staff, we will pray over those prayer cards as we do every Monday morning, and we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to join you in praying for uh, your prayer concerns. Uh, Perhaps it's just um, singing and and letting God speak to you and and understanding and um, hearing God through what we've heard and experienced this morning. Whatever way it is that, that you respond, I invite you now to stand as we sing together and respond in the way that God calls you to this morning.